In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Women Arsecast on Arsblog.com with me, your host, Tim Stillman. Massive game at the Emirates on Saturday. It looks like at the time we're recording, there's only there were only about 100 tickets left, so surely this must be a sellout. I think we fell about 200 tickets short of selling out against Chelsea in the WSL in December, so hopefully a sellout. However, you know, more importantly, just a, a massive, massive game for Arsenal and Manchester United in the race for Champions League qualification and probably two teams who quite similarly um, not having the seasons they really wanted so far and a lot riding on this game. And to look ahead to this game, I thought we'd get a little bit of the Manchester United perspective. Um, so I'm delighted to be joined by Connor Roberts from the All for United Women YouTube channel. Connor, thanks for joining us. No worries at all. Thanks for having me on. I'm, uh, I, I've been saying to everybody, I'm so excited and so nervous at the same time for this because there's so much riding on this game um, for, for both teams already. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, just a special thank you for coming on because um, you'll probably get a lot of criticism for coming on the show with me um, from other United fans. <laughs> um, we'll leave it there. <laughs> Connor, First of all, you know, like I said at the top, I think Arsenal and United probably kind of brothers slash sisters in arms in terms of not having the seasons they really wanted to. They both started the season by not getting into the Champions League group stage because of Paris-based teams. Um, you know, there's there's been a lot of turnover um, at both teams. Both teams had very busy summers kind of in and out, losing players they didn't want to lose, but bringing in big players. And I, I guess the principal difference between the two teams is at the beginning of the season, both managers had a year left on their contracts. Arsenal opted to extend the side of ours and kind of have that certainty and stability, I guess. Manchester United haven't done the same with Mark Skinner. And we might 
um, come on to Mark Skinner more specifically in a moment. But what do you make of United's season so far? Because last season really felt like a breakthrough for you guys in challenging for the title, getting to the FA Cup final. How have you viewed this season so far and perhaps some of the reasons behind it not going as well as last season? Yeah, I mean, last season from a United point of view, it was just a complete, I mean, just fantasy from one of the best seasons I've ever had following a, a team around. Um, you know, obviously with the cup final, pushing Chelsea all the way, the late winners that we had in, in multiple games as well. It was just such a per, almost perfect year. A trophy would have completely obviously rounded that, rounded that off, so to speak. This season, I think I'm going to say this a lot throughout this recording, that we've looked good in moments. You know, obviously you mentioned the Champions League against PSG. The second half of that, we looked we looked solid and we were in the game. And I thought we're competing with, with a Champions League side here. And in the away leg, there was moments in that game I thought we're competing with them here. Um, but we don't do that over a sustained period, over a gate, uh, over a full 90 minutes, which has ultimately been our downfall this season. We play well in five, ten minute spells and go completely off it. And when we drop off it, the drop off is huge. So, yeah, we've obviously had injuries, as Mark Skinner has spoken about a lot. <laughs> um, it's, it's talked about investment and all those kinds of things as well. But it's a real tough one because I, I think the squad overall has improved. But I think we've lost we lost so many players. I say lost, but we, we let go of a lot of players as well over the summer. And I don't think that has helped. I think we've lost that team spirit a little bit as well that we had last season. Whereas last year it was more of a, a, a team bond, and you know we knew what team was playing, but you know the, the subs were there. It, it felt a very uh, close knit group. Whereas this season, I think the quality wise and on paper, the squad has potentially got better. I feel we've lost that little bit of, I say, camaraderie. Really, um, you know, when we went down in games last year, I always felt we'd come back as we did on multiple occasions. This season, when we go down, I'm like oh well, that's that then, and it seems to be that that feeling of we're not going to get back into it. So. I think there's a whole host of factors. Martin Holeave, and I don't think he's spoken about enough. He did a lot of stuff behind the scenes as well uh, on the training pitch and so on. So obviously him leaving over the summer as well as obviously Honor and, and Alessia to yourselves as, as well, which, yeah, two huge players from, from our season last year. Yeah, and I mean, looking at it from the outside, um, you know, it looked like last season, kind of very good run with injuries, didn't have Europe kind of sacked off the Conti Cup group stage, which I kind of understood uh, last season and in terms of them pushing for the league and the FA Cup. And like you said, some some really key players have gone. Perhaps we'll talk a little bit about Onabache a bit later because there's a question about what United will do at right back for the game on Saturday. But you know, does it does it do you think that the amount of turnover, maybe some of that injury I, call it luck maybe just because didn't have the same amount of games from last season like what what do you think do you think it is just a case of like there's been quite a lot of change in a short amount of time yeah there's that and obviously I'm sure Mark had a way of of playing at the start of the season what we that we saw and it was I wasn't a fan of it but obviously you mentioned the fullbacks Gabby George obviously started the season and started the season very well obviously unfortunately for her her season was ended um, you know, pretty much just as it was getting going. So, yeah, obviously our back line has been not decimated, but it's been pretty much one short, one more injury short of having no fit defenders for, for our bench and and so on. So, yeah, obviously we're, I'm sure we're going to talk about it as well in terms of what we're going to do at, at right back at the weekend because there's obviously doubts over, over Jade as well. So, 
it's going to be changed up again. And I think that's been our, most of our problem. You know, we've seen it not just due to injuries, just in general. I don't think Mark knows what his best team is. We've seen so many different midfield combinations, whether Miyazawa's been in and out, Lad's been in and out, Lisa's now coming in and out, Guerrero came in, then got injured. Toon has been in and out, and that front three is constantly changing as well. And only re- in recent weeks we're seeing a stable front three. So, whereas last season, I think we recorded something last April, and we were saying you almost know ten out of the eleven United players yeah. picks itself. This season, I couldn't tell you three or four, let alone <laughs> seven, eight, nine, ten, so on. So, it's been a lot of changes behind the scenes, but on the pitch as well, it's it's constantly changing. Um, and I know talk about rotation but I think when you've had so many players leave and a few in as well obviously and Miyazara and, and Jace obviously learning the language as well it was always going to be tough to try and integrate everybody into the team yeah absolutely I in fact I saw um when Arsenal played United earlier in the season JC with a with a translator on the pitch um after the game uh earwigs their conversation a little bit um, and, and obviously in the backdrop, you know, we mentioned that Mark Skinner's contract is up at the end of the season. You referenced uh, Martin Ho going to uh, going to be a head coach at Brand, who obviously re- doing really done really well in the Champions League group stages this year. Before we talk about, I guess, some of the conversation around uh, Mark's future. I mean, how do you see that? Do you think he'll stay? Do you think that the uncertainty around that has been unhelpful? I don't think it's helped because obviously the club can't properly plan. I think that's part of the reason we didn't see any transfers in in January is because the club are thinking probably long-term, you know, if he's not going to be here, why sign and spend a load of money for a manager that's potentially not going to be here in six months? I think from a player point of view, I think there's potentially one or two contracts that are holding over that as well and and players looking at it going, do I really want to still be here if under current, current management and so on? So I think there's a lot riding on it. I think... I really don't know which way it's going to go at the moment. There's a lot riding on the end of the season. Obviously, we've seen today from obviously from the Premier League with Ineos and the, and the 25% with Sir Jim Ratcliffe. So I think that's going to have a big part to play. How quick can they get some kind of structure in place and how much are they going to look at the women's side? I know that we're going to come to that in a bit, but how much are they going to look at it um, as a pressing matter? And are they just going to look at it and potentially do a short-term fix and go, right, we'll give you another year um, and assess things further down the line? I'm really not sure. So... For me, looking at the squad we've got, we should be aiming. We should be in the top three, look, or at least aiming for that, and going far, obviously, in the FA Cup. So, I think he's starting to feel the pressure. I think it's evident in his interviews and 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 what we're seeing. Um, and yeah, he's he's fine for a contract. He knows that. Obviously, fans are, are looking at it as well. He, he's under pressure. I don't. He's he'll know that himself. He spoke about the pressure numerous times. So. It's it's tough, but I think that's what you get. You you know, you Manchester United manager, you're going to get that pressure put on yourself by players, by fans, by people above you as well. Yeah, and and that brings us nicely on to a, another, I guess, uh, point of commonality. I think Arsenal and United have is you know the respective fan bases, um, and and I guess that burgeoning fan culture. Um, Arsenal fans are getting it in the ear at the moment for swearing um, at football matches. Um, imagine that. <laughs> and obviously we've seen kind of scenes this season, I mean, maybe slightly blown out of proportion at the Chelsea game where, I mean, it was one fan holding a Skinner out sign. But 
you know, we have seen that, you know, the trip to Malta and the kind of the chanting about Mark Skinner and there does seem to be a bit of an underlying movement there. I mean, what's your your position um, on that? I mean, even over and above your own opinion on because we, we we this is quite new in women's football. I think it's fair to say that that kind of, you know, actively taking against the manager and divided fan base and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I'll come to my own view in a second. I'll, I'll, obviously, you mentioned a Chelsea game. I was at that game and, and it was quite near. Um, obviously, the fan that had the the sign and my person, each to their own. I think I've got nothing against it. Me personally, I would never chance a manager to be sacked because I think you're talking about somebody's job. But I've got no issue with people that do. I think after that game, it's it's grown more at the, at the recent games at Villa and and at Brighton at LSV. There was a lot more signs like that. There was a couple at Man City away as well. Um, uh, you know, similar kind of messaging talking about obviously Skinner out and. Um, I can't remember the exact wording, but there was a lot more certainly at the, the, the City away game three days later in the Conti Cup. So, yeah, I, each of the, if, my view on it is just each of their own. I think if, if people want to voice that, then fine. Um, but equally, if people want to sing for in support of Mark Skinner, that's also fine. I think you've got to have it both ways. Um, obviously, it's not like I said before, for me personally, I don't like it, but mm. I'm not against it because... Yeah, each as long as it's done respectfully, and it's just as we've seen. Just if you're holding up a sign that's not, you know, offensive or anything like that, I think yeah, that's okay. But I don't think it's a, a, a massive deal. I think he got blown a lot out of proportion. Certainly, as you mentioned, obviously Chelsea. I think it was blown up into possibly because of obviously Rachel Williams's actions, obviously talent telling the fan to put the sign down I don't think that was potentially helpful <laughs> um, <laughs> so things like that but it, it's a, it's a tough situation because you know word gets around and obviously within the fan base it is very very split you know there's a lot of people that that feel that way but there's equally a lot of people that still support Mark Skinner and want him to obviously progress further into next season as well yeah yeah I you know the the kind of Rachel Williams asking asking the fan to put the sign down I mean generally speaking I'm not I'm not fond of of players doing things like that but at the same time like Rachel Williams and Mark Skinner go back quite a long way and you know from her point of view if it's you know a manager she's worked with a lot and has a good professional relationship with you know it must be hard to see that as well so I can kind of see both sides and yeah I, I just think it's really interesting that like um because th- this is all quite new um actually in women's football but um what one of the I guess one of the things again from the outside that a lot of people I've heard a lot of people talk about and I've considered myself during Mark Skinner's whole reign is I mean you referenced it like last season it was kind of 12 players really it was that right wing spot is that Lucia Garcia or Nikita Paris and the rest of the team you could just reel off and um but then at the same time there do seem to have been a lot of players that have come in and then gone out of the club who just haven't really had much of a look in um and and that that you know I, I wonder whether you think is that that you know? It, are those players kind of foisted on Mark Skinner a little bit by the club, or you know, do how how do you see some of that recruitment where you've seen players come into Manchester United, not really feature and then leave? Yeah, this is my biggest area. I think of frustration when it comes to to looking at some of the things that that Mark maybe has said and things like that. like like you said, it is potentially 
people above him making decisions. I don't know this as facts, so I'm purely just going to speculate uh, on a couple of things, whether it's people above him that are making the signs that he doesn't particularly want. I'll, I'll use Vilder as an example. We know that that was a Casey signing. That's the, the groundwork was laid out by Casey before, um, before she left. And obviously the club just followed through with that when Mark came in. But a you've bit got like quite- us and Nikita Paris. Exactly. Not, not a Yona exactly. side of our signing, but yeah. But I think that's the only one I'll give him where I think that's not really his side. I look at players like Tunkara and Adriana Leon last summer. Two players, you know, he, he was a year in at this point, paid money for, got them in, hardly played. They leave a, a year later. And I'm like, what? To me, that just seems such a waste. It's a waste of the player's career because they've just basically had a year of not doing anything. Um, and it's a waste of money, really. From I know we're not talking millions here, but it's it's still from a from women's football side. It just seems a complete waste. Um, and other players will look at that and think, well, would I want to go there and just sit around for for a year and potentially not play? Um, so yeah, I think it's it can definitely be be labelled at, at Mark. It can be labelled at the people above him, whoever's making these decisions, because he talks a lot about. Um, and we've seen it with Lisa Nelson recently talking about adapting to his play style and, and understanding the Man United way and things like that, which I fully get, by the way. I understand that some players do need time to adapt. But I also flip it around and think, well, why are we buying so many of those types of players and that always need to adapt You know, six, seven months into, into a season and potentially still don't play even after doing all of those kind of things? So, so I go back to Vilda. I feel like he said a lot about Vilda in, in press conferences and things like that, talking about things she needs to improve on. Um, yet we saw other players making making those mistakes that he was saying that Vilda needed to improve on. So I think it's a tough one. I think he's very much set on players he trusts. It's, it's very much mm. a trust thing, which is the same for any manager. You're going to pick the players that you trust. Um, so whether Mark just doesn't trust the players, you know, he's looking to his bench or looking to, to the players on, on training that he's picking for a matchday squad. Whether he just doesn't trust them, I'm not too sure. But like I said before, like this season, we've seen so many changes. I think that's purely because he just doesn't quite know because he's had all these players come in. I said from all over, you know, Europe and the Americas and so on, that he doesn't quite know how to how to fit in. So it's a real tough one when you've got so many players that leave and so many, like I said, like obviously came in last summer. Yeah, it's. It's a real tough one, but this is certainly my biggest area of frustration because it's just I don't know why we buy half of the players that we do and just don't see them and then move them on after after a year. Yeah, and well, I guess let's come on to one player who maybe took, I don't know if it's fair to say that really, but Nikita Paris was, like we said, kind of a little bit in and out, you know, sharing that right wing spot with Lucia Garcia last season. I think, again, from the outside, looked like she was fine. Um probably no more, no less this season. Um, she's she's really in red hot form at the moment, scoring a lot of goals, playing through the middle. Um, and I guess Skinner's found something in terms of moving JC out wide and putting Nikita Paris up front. And again, just looking at highlights, the goals she's scoring are really kind of striker goals, really six-yard box, picking up rebounds, even headers and things like that. How, because um, I, listen, I guess we're going to get into two of the big players United lost this summer. It kind of looks like from the outside that the Russo question is answered by, you know, that JC and Keats partnership with kind of Malvin Mallard as a bit of a super sub. 
Yeah, I mean, you, oh, I could talk for absolute days about, about Jay, especially on the, the right-hand side. So for me, she's one of those players. She, for me, she can beat any fullback in, in the league right now. I think we've, we've saw that even in the game against Chelsea, obviously flying right now. She, the goal came because of her movement down the right-hand side and obviously getting it getting it across box. So, yeah, as you said there, I think Paris down the middle. Fans have been saying this pretty much since the very start of the season that we want to see her out on the right and Paris down the middle. And and only in recent weeks are we starting to see that. I think Jace's biggest problem when we first saw her come into the side, it seemed like the other players just weren't understanding that she'd beat a couple of players as we see in pretty much every time she gets the ball. But then there was no one anywhere near her because she she was almost two steps ahead of everybody else. Whereas I think now with a player like Nikita Paris, who's obviously very intelligent, she's dropping into those positions, like you said, on a striker finishes. The two goals against Brighton that we scored are a prime example of that. You know, people can say, "Oh, they're, they're easier goals." I don't think they are. The movement of her to to pull away from the defender, almost dropping to near, near where the penalty spot is, and I think we're finally getting that understanding, which we saw with. Uh, I know we're going to talk about, them, but Honor and Alessia last year, a lot of the goals Alessia scored was because of that dropping a little bit deeper in Honor coming in from the right hand side. So we're starting to see that a little bit more now. Obviously. You mentioned Mallard. I'd love to see that as a front three. For some reason, we just can't seem to see Mallard and, and Jace play together for whatever reason. Mark just doesn't want to. It's like as soon as one goes off, the other one comes on and, and vice versa. Um, so I'd love to see that as a front three. Mallard off the left, <coughs> Paris down the middle, and, and Jace off the right and just see how it would how it would develop. But yeah, it's got to be <coughs> consistent because like I said before, we've we've chopped and changed. Um, and yeah, I'm glad to see Nikita Paris hitting the numbers she's on. Obviously, seven and six at the time of recording this since the turn of the year. Absolutely on fire. And she's the one player right now you'd look at and go, you're not dropping her out of that front line. Yeah, and we're recording this on the day the England squad's announced. And I guess I'll ask, <laughs> I'll ask the question, but I, I think it's kind of two questions about, you know, um, are you surprised that she's not in it? Because there's the... You know, I don't think many people would have been surprised if she had worked her way back into it. But at the same time, there's the, but it's Serena Wiegmann. <laughs> and, and it tends to take her quite a while to change her mind. But I just before this podcast, I was reading what Serena said in the press conference today. And actually, if I was a United fan, I'd be quite, quite enthused by it just because Serena said that she... This time she picked up the phone and spoke to Keats, which I gather she hasn't done for a few months, but it sounded like the conversation was, okay, we thought about you this time, keep doing this and next time you might be in, which, you know, if I were a United fan, I'd look at that and say, great, because that really gives her the motivation to, I'm not sure Keats lacks for motivation, but, you know, to, to really keep pushing. I mean, were you surprised to not see her in the squad? Surprised? Unfortunately, no. Um, yeah, because I think I kind of thought it was going to be the usual team. Uh, obviously, with Leah back in, obviously from an Arsenal point of view, back into England as well. That was probably the one in there. So I'm not surprised. I'm gutted for her because I think she's spoken a lot over the last year um, about getting back into England and obviously speaking about. Obviously, didn't make the World Cup either. You know, talking about that, and you know, she was our top scorer in twenty twenty three. She's gone into this year, like as I said, the second goes seven in six. I don't know what more she can possibly do <laughs> um, to to get in it. Obviously, you mentioned Serena's reasoning there in terms of just keeping it going and 
and everything else, which obviously I hope she does. I, I'd love her if, if she can hit 20 goals this season, which she's on track to do. Um, that'll be incredible. So, yeah, I really feel for her, but I, I just don't know what else she can she can do. I know, obviously, England have got so many good forwards, but I feel like in games like this, you know, they're not qualifiers, they're not you know big tournaments or anything like that. It's, it's a couple of friendlies. I, I don't see the issue of just putting, you know, we're not talking about a youngster's breaking through here. You know, Nikita Paris has been there. What you know, won a load of things and and everything else, and and has been around England before as well. So, yeah, I, I'm not fully surprised. I'm just more gutted for her because she deserves it off off yeah the form that she's been on this season. Yeah, I wonder if Rachel Daly wasn't a fullback option. Whether she might have got in, whether that's kind 100%. of kept Rachel Daly in there just ahead of her by a nose, perhaps. So, I mean, looking at the game on Saturday, I, I think fairly obvious. We'll be looking at a front three of Galton, um, Nikita Paris and JC with Ella Toon behind them. Let, let's go a step back um, into midfield because last season, I think Katie Zellum and Hayley Ladd, I can't remember a game they didn't play together in the WSL or the FA Cup. But th- this season, that's slightly changed, that platform. And Ars- a lot of Arsenal's game plan at Lay Sports Village was about stopping those two players. So I don't think Arsenal are going to do this again, but they played Kim Little and Alessia Russo wide. And a lot of playing Kim wide was about her coming in and marking Katie Zellum. So that that shows you how much respect I think Jonas Eideval has or had for that like midfield kind of double pivot. Do you think it will be? I mean, Katie Zellum will start, I think, but... Do you think Hayley Ladd will partner her or what do you think will happen in there? It's interesting you say that. When you were asking that question, I was just trying to think when the last time we didn't see Ladd and Zellum last season and it was only once from memory in the league and it was when it was Spurs and it was Bo Risa and Ladd and the only reason it was because of Bo Risa was because Zellum was suspended. Um, I can't actually think of another <laughs> another game where it wasn't those two. Um, yeah, Lisa for me has been fantastic in recent weeks, you know, progressing the ball forward. She's got one hell of a strike on her and she's you know, very physical as well. I've really enjoyed watching her in recent weeks. However, I do think he'll go for Ladd on Saturday purely off the base of our defence is a bit shaky at the moment, which is going to be a change back for anyway. I think he'll revert back to what he knows you know, more frequently and Ladd offering that more, I guess, defensive stability. And I guess kind of without going into too tactical, but I think he'll be our possession. It'll turn him more into a back five and it'll be Ladd dropping between the two centre-backs and, and Zellum almost being like that quarterback just in front. So kind of a back six as a defensive unit, but more of a back five with Ladd dropping in there. So I think it will be Ladd off, just off that. Um, and I'm not against either, as you said there. I think Katie Zellum divides opinion amongst a lot of fans, I think, which is a bizarre one. Her numbers speak for herself. I don't think she's a bad player. I think she gets exposed a lot. I think she, especially this season, we've been trying to force her into, for me, something that she's not, um, into this kind of lone six you know, Kira Walsh, you know, Oberdorf, mm. you know, Volti type player. I don't think she is that. Um, she needs a player alongside her, like a lad or at least a Nelson, whoever it is, to almost you know, play a double pivot with her. So, yeah, she'll be, obviously, she said she'll be there. He'll be Tooney in front of him. And, yeah, I think he'll go for lad. But I'm not against either, to be honest. The form Lisa Nelson's been in, as long as she will help defensively, which in I'm just thinking back to the last time she did. 
playing a big game. It was a Manchester derby at Old Trafford. Obviously, that didn't go mm. too well. Um, thinking back to that, so yeah, I, I've kind of talked myself into hoping it's land now. Just thinking back <laughs> to the derby at Old Trafford. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and like Arsenal are in a situation where that midfield double pivot, they've got four players um, and they could really play any combination of them. I'm thinking it'll be Leo Volti, Victoria Pulova. I think we'll see Kim Little in the number 10 position and I think a lot of that will again be about her looking after Katie Zellum um, a little bit. So I, I think that's, that's a really, really intriguing area of the team. Let, let's go to defence then. Now... Um, uh, because Jade Riviere, I, I believe, is injured. It looks like she's not going to the Gold Cup. Um, so that was very giveth and taketh away. Canada say that the players can stay. And then Jade Riviere is is subsequently injured. I guess, how do you see... First of all, how do you see the, the back four lining up? You referenced there have been lots of injuries. Apologies, my neighbours constantly set the smoke alarm off and they've done it again. Uh, if you can hear the beeping in the background. Um how do you expect the defence to line up and maybe just a bit on recovering from the loss of a player like Onabache, who, for my money, is probably the best fullback in the world, not least because she can play on both sides equally effectively? No, 100% on on honour to start with. Yeah, I mean, if you know, obviously the reports that came out about Karshawi potentially going to Barcelona, that should be illegal, in my opinion. Karshawi on the left and an honour on the right hand side. That's just no, <laughs> that can't be allowed. Um, yeah, she's just an exceptional fullback. And I felt a bit sorry for Jake because when she came in, everyone was, oh, it's honour 2.0. You know, we're in, kind of expecting honour from the start, and that's not her. She's not, she's not going to be honour. You know, I want her to be the best Jade, not you know, obviously just replicating what honour can be. And, you know, Jade has came... She's been very good since the, she was played out of position in the games against PSG. She was playing like a right winger um, to kind of deal with um, Chewinga and, and Karshaw on that left-hand side. And since then, she's really grown in. I think most fans would say that, you know, the last couple of weeks, she's been one of our best players. And obviously now has picked up this injury. She won't be won't be there this weekend. So now we're looking at a case of it's likely going to be Hannah Blundell on the right-hand side, which she can do a job there. But in my opinion, she's just not as strong on that right hand side. Obviously she's got she's gonna have Mayor Letizia alongside which is which is fine. Mayor can cover a lot of that. It's the left hand side, and your Arsenal viewers are gonna love this, <laughs> that I really worry about because <clears throat> we've been playing Gemma Evans there in recent weeks. Now Gemma Evans is a good defender. She's just not a left back. And we saw it in the game against City in particular, Chloe Kelly tore it inside and out constantly, beating her every single time. So I don't really know what I want to see, to be honest, because the other option is putting Leah Golton at left-back. And if we do that, we saw we did that in the derby. And again, the same thing happened again. Got caught out so many times on the right-hand side. Now, I assume from an Arsenal point of view, it's going to be somebody like Beth Mead on the right-hand side. So, you know, just just casually, just one of the best, best right-sided wingers about. So it's going to be really tough. I really worry for us on that side. Whoever's playing that left side of midfield, I imagine it's Lad is going to have to, I think, cover a lot of uh, of lot of space on that left side because I think it's going to be... I think he'll go for what we've seen in recent weeks with Gemma Evans. Uh, so Gemma, uh, Millie Turner, Mayer and, and Hannah on the right. But I really don't know because I, I, I worry for any of those alternatives. Whatever happens, someone's playing out of position because the other thing is you put... You keep Hannah Blund on the left, you put Mayer at right back and you go for Gemma and, and Millie as your back two. Then you're disrupting the back two. You're moving Millie across to right centre-back and you're putting Mayer at right back where she's not played 
in the whole time she's been at United. So, yeah, I worry for that back line and just what we can what we can put out. But we deal with the, the hand we're dealt, so to speak, now. Yeah, I, th- I think on Arsenal's right, it'll be it'll definitely like Arsenal. Are, <clears throat> Arsenal are going for continuity up front at the moment because they've been a bit disrupted in other areas in defence. They're trying to reintegrate Leah Williamson. We've lost Emily Fox now, so I think it'll be Katie McKay, but right back um, for this game and Steph Catley at left back. So it'll, I think it'll be McCabe and Mead. And that's actually quite interesting if Hayley Ladd does play on that left side with a view to moving over. McCabe's going to play at right back and I think potentially invert into midfield. So maybe that's an area to watch as well. Um, but, I, you know, I, I I think for Arsenal, you can really predict the front three of Mead, Ford and Russo because it's, it's not really clicked yet. And I think the the kind of coaching staff want that to click and want to give it as much time together as possible. And with Lena Hurtig injured, we we've lost... Uh, you know, a, another wide option. So we basically only really have three wingers anyway with Chloe Lacasse there. So I, I, I think Arsenal's front three is going to be pretty set in stone. Um, you know, we heard the the reception for Russo at, at LSV in October. Um, so I think we pretty much know what, what the away end is going to be like um, in, in, in terms of her. Um, I, I just wanted to touch on, I guess, just a couple of questions to finish up. First off, you referenced Ineos earlier coming in and today on the day of recording on Tuesday, that's that's all kind of gone through with Sir Jim Ratcliffe. I know I've read that they've already met with the, the women's side of the club. What's, what's the kind of feeling vis-a-vis whether, I mean, it strikes me that like everyone's very down on the Glazers and understandably <laughs> so, and that actually for a relatively modest investment, like a, a quick and relatively speaking cheap win would be for them to really, really kind of go, yeah, we're going to throw it all behind the women's team. Is there any indication yet about Ineos and, and what impact that might have on Manchester United women? Yeah, I mean, they're saying the right things, which they, they you know, Jim Ratcliffe and so on, they're going to do. They're not, they're not going to come in and start... You know, saying saying the wrong thing, so I'm always a bit sceptical when people say, "Oh, look at what they said about this. They're going to do this and this." I'm like, "Well, they're going to say that because they want obviously whatever the fans from from the start." I think, like you said, there they could have some so many quick wins. It, it's not going to cost them a lot of money because women's football is not at the point of of men yet in terms of the money that's in the game. So it wouldn't cost them an absolute fortune. I think you know the facilities wise, obviously the, the new facility at Carrington is 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 top notch. You know, I, I wish United would would shout about it more, you know, in terms of what what's just been built for the women's team. But other than that, I, I want them to come in and actually put a women a proper structure in place for the people above Mark Skinner and not having people doing jobs for the men's side and the women's side, not having people just starting a job for the women's side and all of a sudden actually the men's team need you so then they get moved over to the men's side. Um and, and actually, did that happen with again? Like, was it a physio or something? Yes, yes. Yeah. So we've had a couple yeah. of physios and a couple of people behind the scenes as well. Um, we've had people on people dealing with contracts that don't fully understand women's football and just letting them run down. You know, starting <coughs> starting. I'll use an example. I won't say the player, but there was an example with a player that started gave them a, a contract offer in the what the summer before didn't go back to the negotiating table until three weeks before the end of the season. And it's just, you can't deal with that when they're out of contract that, that, that next summer. So 
when you're dealing with things like that. So I, I just hope they get women's football people in place um, with a proper structure there. Because obviously Polly Bancroft came in. Again, she's been a bit hit and miss in terms of some of the decisions that, that she's made. So I'm quietly optimistic, but I think until I see it, because there's been so many promises over the years from, you know, under the Glazer ownership and, and, and various people that have come in. I just hope that, you know, the, the girls deserve to be treated you know, fairly and, and invested in as well because we've got a good group there. It just needs to be invested in well and, you know, concerns listened to. Yeah, and I, I think we've seen on the Arsenal side as well, we had a couple of botched transfer windows, summer 22, last January. There was, there was quite a bit of ill feeling towards Claire Wheatley, the head of women's football. But actually what Arsenal have done is Claire's still in the same position, but they've just hired a load more recruitment staff basically, and all of a sudden, trans, you know, whether they're the right transfers or not, but transfers are getting done far more easily now. And it turns out that Claire Wheatley wasn't the problem with that. It was just, you know, the support structures around. So I, I think you, you're quite right on that. Just just the last one to finish, um, you know, coming into this game from an Arsenal perspective, it's there's a four-point gap um, from Arsenal to Manchester United at the moment from third to fourth. Um, I, I think it's definitely a must-not-lose game for Manchester United if that becomes a seven-point gap, not completely over, but you know, um, potentially semi-fatal. But do you think it's a must-win? Um, I'm going to say yes, purely off the base. As you said, if we, obviously a draw keeps it at four and and six behind obviously we don't know what's going to happen with city and our city and, and chelsea as well on obviously yeah. on friday so there's that if chelsea took well to me if chelsea win that i think they've pretty much got the title wrapped up but i think if if city go on and win that one you know we're even further behind them so then that game on saturday becomes even more important that that we can't let that gap go to seven or even stay at four because i just don't think there's going to be enough I know, obviously, you're not going to want to be reminded of this, but obviously West Ham <laughs> did cause an upset, but I just don't think there's going to be loads more uh, of those types of results. So I'm just looking at who else Arsenal have got to drop points. Same as us, obviously, got the City and, and Chelsea. We've got games. to go to Chelsea and City, yeah. So if, similar to us, except we've just got Chelsea at home on the last game of the season. And we know what happened a couple of years ago and we had to win <laughs> against Chelsea to secure top three and that didn't go too well. So, yeah, I think it is must win. Um, from our point of view and not just from the points and things like because obviously the points take then takes it down to one and, and we're right back in the fight again I think just more from a, a morale point of view just getting a win over someone in the top three we did it obviously last season you know pretty well obviously massive you know, springboard as well exactly obviously the game at the Emirates last year was a massive springboard for us and going on and having that confidence to that we can beat teams in you know, in the top three and above us and probably should have done the double over City as well. You know, played pretty well at the Etihad and obviously won the game at home. So I think from that point of view, yeah, just more from a morale and obviously from the points point of view. But I think the last thing I'll say in terms of the game, it's a, this game is very much, you've mentioned it a second ago, in terms of the reception Russo got obviously at LSV. She's going to get a better one, I think, at, at the Emirates than she did at LSV. But this game for me is just fully set up for the storytellers and for, for the blog writers and the match reports and things like that, if it's a, a Russo winner or an Akita Paris winner, <laughs> I think either one of those. Or Mario uh, saves a penalty or something. <laughs> or so, there's so many like outcomes like that that I think of. It's just like it's just set up for something like that, isn't it? That will be obviously <laughs> it's just just fairy tale almost about it. So 
I mean, just I'll, I'll throw that back to you actually very quickly. Is it a must win for Arsenal? Do you think? Do you think you have it's, to win it, like or not? So it's definitely a must not lose. <clears throat> I think you know. I think mate, again, it kind of ha- depends on what happens with the Chelsea City game because, like, you say, if City win that, I think you've got first and second, and then you've got third and fourth, and those two things are going to be quite distinct. I mean, from an art of in terms of the belief of the team and the fans, Arsenal have to win it. I think. I think Arsenal. You know, the season has not gone how people wanted. The title looks not quite gone, but close. And going out of the FA Cup and all of that, really, it's get to the Conti Cup final and put that. What I'm looking at is put that distance to United, and then we can start looking up that. Realistically, that might not mean winning the league, but we know through Champions League qualification that actually finishing second over finishing third, still not a guarantee, but it's it's a lot better. Um, and so that is something tangible to aim at, even if it isn't what Arsenal want. But so, in, you know, mathematically for the league, a draw is kind of all right um, in terms of keeping that gap to United. But I think given the way the season's gone for the fans emotionally in terms of their connection to the the manager as well it it's definitely must win i think i think if arsenal don't win that game the the manager whether he's under pressure internally i i kind of doubt it at this stage but will come under quite a bit of pressure from the fans i think so i i'm kind of going to say it's a must win for arsenal even if it isn't strictly speaking mathematically if I think that makes sense n- not just in terms of the points as well i think the fact that it's at the emirates as you mentioned at the start yeah. it should be a sellout as well it's 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 more it's just a big occasion as well i guess for for bringing obviously new fans into into arsenal as well and i think you know, obviously last season didn't obviously United got the, the late winner obviously with Russo, but I feel like that in itself, as you said, obviously there's a little bit of pressure now building at Arsenal. I feel, it is I, for me personally, I would look at it as a must win for both because I think both, mm. as you said, kind of not similar seasons, but again, underwhelming. I think yep. when you look at players that have come in and, and things like that, and it's yeah, there's a lot riding on it, that's for sure. Yeah, and Arsenal have put more pressure on themselves in these games because actually these games do suit Arsenal better. Like they've beaten City and Chelsea at home in the WSL, drew away at United um, as well. So actually these games suit Arsenal a lot better when you look at who Arsenal have lost to, Liverpool, West Ham, Spurs. You know, there's a theme in all of those. We struggled against Villa. We struggled against Bristol City like this game to me, plays much more into Arsenal's potential strengths. But I do think that puts an extra pressure on Arsenal in these games. And it's the same with thinking about Arsenal having Chelsea away and City away, you know, towards the end of the season. I'm I'm more comfortable in those games in terms of it suiting Arsenal. But at the same time, it kind of makes them must win when you drop points elsewhere. So th- this one, I, I think, there will be there's a lot riding on this and Jonas knows that when I spoke to him on uh, on Sunday after the City game he said this is a huge week and obviously this is going to go out after the LCL Conti Cup quarterfinal but you know if Arsenal aren't seven points clear of United and in the Conti Cup semi-final on Sunday morning I think a lot of people are going to be very unhappy put it that way no I can fully see that one yeah yeah and on on that, on that's 
I don't want to say sour note, but you know, it's listen. They're big clubs. This is a really big game for both teams, and that's that's just how it is. Uh, you know, it's it's pressure, and as our, you know, Jonas is very fond of saying pressure is a privilege and all of that. Maybe less so for the for the fans um, and those of us kind of watching the games uh, through our fingers, which. Um, you know, obviously I'll be in the press box, but that's still what I'll be doing. Um, are, you, are you coming down for the game? Indeed, we'll be there in the uh, in the away end. It's as I said at the start. I'm I'm so excited for it, but I'm just so nervous because I, I, don't, I don't don't know. I mean, it's what we live for, isn't it? As football fans, we we love these big games and the big because you you never know. You know, I'm not as confident as I was last season, but I feel like you, you just don't know in football. You know, it's we could go there and win, and it could catapult our season. So. That's what I'm hoping, obviously, from a United point of view, anyway. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it was a really kind of up and down, bit of a boomerang game back in October as well, um, and, and a draw was probably a fair fair result in that game. But let's see what Saturday brings. Anyway, Connor, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. No, no worries at all. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. And that's all we have time for this week. Um, I don't know when we'll do the next podcast, maybe during the February international break um, when things are a bit clearer. But like I said, I think uh, this this game on Saturday, going into an international break as well, that's another factor. Uh, whoever loses this or doesn't get the result they want has some time to stew over it. Um, so, so hopefully... Um, sorry, Connor. Ho- hopefully, Arsenal fans won't be doing that stewing. <laughs> um, but we'll 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 probably do something during the February international break for you. But until then, thanks so much for joining us, and goodbye. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.